Good evening. All right, that's something. Uh, I'm super excited to be here. My name's Justin. I've been looking forward to this a long time. I've heard a lot about y'all, and I don't anticipate that you are going to disappoint me with um, how this goes tonight, all right? There is something, I think, to be fair, you need to know about me uh, right off the bat. There's really only two types of people in the world who laugh at my jokes, I've found. Really, really smart people and really, really attractive people. So, if I make a joke and you don't laugh, read between the lines, folks. Anyway, oh wow, that was, <laughs> come on, view yourself higher than that, right? You're laughing, you must be really smart, right? Get it, because if you're not attractive, whatever. Anyway, okay, we're getting there. Insult the crowd, that's always a great start. But like I said, my name is Justin. I am really pumped to be here. Uh, I'm really pumped to be here to talk about this idea of being an extended family because Part of this, in my mind, preparing, I started thinking about extended family. How, what, is, what is the thing that will destroy families? What is the thing that can rip uh, parent from child? What is the thing that can rip spouse from spouse, boyfriend from girlfriend, friend from friend, no matter what? What is the thing that can rip us apart? You kind of already saw it, but it is true. I'm here today to talk about pyramid schemes. Really attractive people, really smart people. That's a little bit better. I'm not here to talk about pyramid schemes. That would be a really odd talk for a different time. I'm here today to talk about your thoughts. Now, here's my goal today. My goal today is for us to all better understand our thoughts, what's going inside of our... Hang on a second. Now, I just set up this idea that, it, that thoughts can rip apart families, people in the back. Can we do anything to up the imperative, make this look more important? Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> that helps so much. But... Uh, my goal today is to serve as a guide to bring you to a solution to a, an epidemic, a problem that we're facing that's going on in our brain. Here's the thing about thoughts. Nobody really knows where they come from. Nobody really knows what's happening in there. I mean, scientists have their guesses. We all have our guesses. We experience it. We think thoughts. We have ran Do you ever have random thoughts? Folks, I got some random thoughts. And since I have a microphone and you're sitting here and missing the Braves game, I thought maybe I'd just tell you about a few of my random thoughts. Okay, one random thought. Why is it that anything multiplied by zero equals zero? All right, you don't have to shout at an answer because I know you don't know either. Because think about it this way. If I have a peck of apples, all right, and then you multiply it by an empty bucket, I still have a peck of apples. The zero does not take the apples away. That's a random thought. Another random thought. Why is Ariana Grande not a font yet? Random thoughts. So I got tired of all the random thoughts and I thought to myself, self, here's what I need to do. I need to go to the doctor and I need to get my brain scanned, to which my wife immediately agreed. She was totally supportive on board, didn't care if it was in network. She's like, yeah, let's go do that. So I went to the neurologist. I got a brain scan in pre preparation for this talk because I wanted them to explain to me what is going on neurologically in my head that causes me to have all of these random thoughts. And not only that, what is going on in my head that's causing me to have thoughts that are eventually inf impacting my life? And so they were gracious enough to give me the brain scan with some information explaining it, allowing me to show you, so I brought my actual brain scan for you today, and it looks like this. <laughs> All right, it's a little confusing, so I'm going to walk you through what goes on in the human brain when it comes to your thoughts, okay? First thing, a thought comes in, and the observation officer grabs a hold of that thought. 
And he observes it, and then he decides to pass it on or, or make it leave, you know, so he passes it on to the drama dragon. Now, the drama dragon really fires up the drama in your life, okay? Those of you who are really dramatic, you have really cultivated a deep cave with a big drama dragon that any time the observation officer passes the thought on, it just fires up the drama and you lose your mind. It's great. It's wonderful. It's science. And then the drama dragon passes it to the distraction dinosaur. The distraction dinosaur will eat any thought it can get its little tiny... Do- <laughs> working right now. Any thought it can get its little dinosaur arms on. You know, it just eats it up and distracts you on to another thought. But if your thought makes it past the distraction dinosaur, this is where it gets really interesting. And they had to like explain this twice to me. What happens is the thought gets past the distraction dinosaur and it goes to these irrational ions, okay? Now, the irrational ions begin to collect to this perfectly normal, sane thought. And the irrationality of the thought just continues to increase. If you get enough of these irrational ions connected to a certain thought, it eventually will cause your chaos volcano to erupt, causing pain and misery to everybody around you. And that's exactly how the human brain works. Fascinating. But there is one thing that will cause you to bypass all of these other elements of your mental state, and it will take you immediately directly to the chaos tornado or chaos volcano just erupting immediately, simultaneously in your life. And that's this. Have you guys seen these? If y'all are watching from out of town, Georgia is under attack. Okay? If you're watching from the future, this is what happened to us. This is the reason no one is here anymore. So get out while you still can. But these spiders are everywhere at my house and, and, and they, they hit my, my chaos volcano because I'll be walking to get my mail and I'm like, hello neighbor, and I'll walk through the web. They always put them across the paths. And then I know that spider is now somehow attached to my face via web and I just go, get this, get this. I'm like, what just happened? My chaos volcano erupted. So this is the one exception to it. I also had my wife's brain scanned. I thought I brought that for fun. Here's what hers looks like. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Now, you can put mine back up there before somebody sends her a picture of that. Anyway, so our thoughts are crazy things. I begin to investigate this a little bit more. Here's what I really like about tonight's content, okay? Whether you place your faith in science, okay? If you place your faith in science and that's kind of where you derive life's meaning and things like that, I have put today's content up against medical journals and science textbooks and things like that, and it held up. So I can assure you it is in line with science. Or if you put your faith in a savior or in scripture, I have also taken today's content and idea and I've put it up against scripture and it's held up there as well. I've actually found that some of the ideas that I'm gonna present you with today are so intertwined, science and scripture, that I wasn't able to take them apart. So I thought, you know what, we'll just do it together. So the actual uh, diagram, not this one, uh, it looks something like this. And here's the progression that we as human beings take on as a thought enters our mind. We, we receive this thought and then it turns into a feeling after a little bit. The thought manifests itself as a feeling and that feeling will begin to drive us a little bit more, a little bit more, and it'll turn into an action. And then we react to that thought and that feeling. We do something and then we get a result. We get a result of our actions that was informed by a feeling that was really initiated by a thought. And here's what was interesting is I kind of studied this and read through this medical journal that I found this in. Our results oftentimes are a self-fulfilling prophecy to our original thought. So whether the original thought was right, wrong, correct, false, no matter what, our results end up reinforcing the original thought because the thought made us feel a certain way, which made us do a certain thing, which ended a certain way that reinforces the initial thought. 
So I wanted to take this idea right here and just put it in a sentence, make it really easy to understand so we don't have to remember what TFAR, what this is called. We can remember it this way. If you're feeling it, you've been thinking it. It's as simple as that. Right now, whatever you're feeling, whatever feeling you walked in with, that feeling you walked in with was initiated by a thought. And now you're carrying the feeling. This is super dangerous sometimes to not recognize the relationship between our head and our heart. To not recognize the relationship between our thoughts and our feelings. To not understand how they correspond to each other and the pattern in which they progress. And so I often say our feelings are incredible signal fires. They're incredible ways to figure out something is going on, but they're horrible compasses for our life. And in fact, for tonight, here's how I want you to think about it. Our feelings should really act as a thermometer to our life. A thermometer, if you, if you think a thermometer in a room is going to tell you the temperature of the room. It's going to recognize, hey, here is the status of this room. And our thoughts really are the thermostat. The thermostat is the thing that begins to initiate change in the room. The thermostat is the thing that you adjust if you want to see the thermometer read a different temperature. So our thoughts really act as a thermostat. It needs to, the thing that needs to be adjusted in order for our feelings to change. But this is not how we interact with thoughts and feelings in our everyday life. Because media and culture has noticed that we tend to follow our feelings. We listen to our heart. We go with our gut. You could name several other phrases that have the same idea and same conclusion. And because they know this, they know we don't have to appeal to their head. We have to appeal to their heart. And so they begin to create content that, that recognizes that. If you think of the movies that you watch or the TV shows or the songs that you listen to, you can easily see that their agenda is to go after your heart. For example, there's a TV show that completely ignores all thinking and is based totally on feeling called The Bachelor. These are human beings who have turned thinking off. They're no longer thinking anything. Or we watch movies like The Notebook. Am I right? Noah was the greatest guy ever, right? And they know that if they could create this magical love story, we're not gonna think of the details or the impossibilities of the story. We're gonna feel it, we're gonna enjoy it. Okay, music, this is where it happens more than ever. Have you ever thought about music and, and if, if they actually acted this stuff out that we're talking about where our feelings are a really a thermometer and our thoughts are really a thermostat and, and they wrote music that way, how nobody would get record deals? Like if Elton John walked into the studio and he's like, good eye, mates, you know, in this scenario, he's Australian. But he walks into the record studio and says, I got a song, Don't Go Breaking My Mind. They'd be like, no, that's not catchy. Or Bonnie Tyler says, Total Eclipse of the Mind. No, because they want to sing about you. Or maybe Billy Ray Cyrus. Don't tell my mind, my achy, breaky mind. Some of you are going to listen to on the way home because you forgot about that song. Some of you are like, I've never heard that in my life. Or maybe my favorite. I wasn't going to do this, but heads up, guys, this is going to be loud. Celine Dion. You're here, there's nothing to fear. You will stay in my mind, and my mind will go on and on. You know, right? Okay. Note to self, open with that next time. But it's true, isn't it? We wanna dig up emotion, we wanna connect with the heart, and people know this, we push for it, push for it, push for it. But I'm telling you today, there's a real danger to allowing your feelings to be the compass of your life. And so we've looked at some of the science stuff, I wanna look at some of the scripture stuff. I wanna look at what the Bible says because what's crazy about it is there are certain places where they correlate with the science journals and it's inseparable. 
But the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, and he's writing back to this church, thinking about how they're doing, hearing about how they're doing, listening to the problems and the things that are rising up in this place, and he begins to write to them, and I want you to watch how interesting it is what he begins to uh, assess and address in his letter to them. He starts in 422 by saying, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. We're gonna talk about that in a second. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To understand what he's talking about by old self, we gotta take one second, hit pause, and talk about deceitful desires. Deceitful desires started before Paul. It started before Jesus. It started before all those people. Deceitful desires started all the way back in the creation of the world. If you're not familiar with the story, I'll give you a quick summary, a recap. You see, God created the world and he created man and woman. He created everything in total perfection. This was God's ideal that man and woman would live in harmony with him and everything would be perfect. And God said, hey, you are to take from this garden anything you want and enjoy it, it's all yours. With the exception of one tree with one particular piece of fruit. I'm gonna ask that you avoid that, that you don't take the fruit from that tree and that you don't eat the fruit from that tree. So man and woman live in the garden. One day, Eve, the woman, is by the tree, and the devil, Satan, the enemy, in the form of a serpent, comes to Eve and says, you know what? God just told you that because he doesn't want you to be as good as him. He doesn't want you to be like him. And the enemy does what he will eventually do for the rest of time, which he places one little lie in Eve's mind. And Eve's mind begins to nourish and cultivate that lie. And it becomes a feeling. Maybe the feeling as she would describe it now, maybe it would be pride. You know what? God doesn't want me to be like him. And so what Eve does in reaction to that, from that thought to that feeling is she acts. She takes the fruit and she takes a bite and gives it to Adam and he takes a bite. And in that moment, in that moment, Sin entered into this, this fear, this, this earth of perfection and shattered it. When sin entered into the world, it completely shattered. And we fast forward through time, we see families ripped apart, generation after generation at war with famine and sickness and hunger, kingdoms falling. We see the wake behind this sin just causing massive destruction. And we get into the 21st century and we look at this old text and we go, now today we're sitting here corrupted by our deceitful desires, dealing with this old self as a result of what happened that day in the garden. Paul's saying this is a problem because your deceitful desires are gonna wanna lead you away from your creator, from your heavenly father. And so Paul will eventually begin to address what do we do with this old self? In Ephesians 4.23, here's what he says. You're to be made new in the attitude of your minds. When I read this, I stopped for a second. I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. I was always in the church. Everybody in the church was always talking about our feelings, our heart, you know. I just feel the Holy Spirit. You let God into your heart, all that stuff. And so what I was expecting Paul to say is a solution to this problem of old self and deceitful desires is something heart-related. But what he is saying is we need to be made new. We need to meet that old self with a new attitude of our mind. Paul is talking about our mind. And if we can do this, we can put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, what Paul is giving us is a picture here. I don't know about you, but I imagine there's somebody in here who if I offered you a new self with new friends and a new career and new relationships and a new worldview and a new perspective and a new way to go about your life, if I offered that to you, you'd take it. I know there's been tons of times in my life where if you offered me a new self, I would have taken it in a heartbeat. And Paul is saying, hey, there's actually a way to, to, to put off your old self. 
and all of those bad habits and rhythms and attitudes and relationships to put that off and put on a new self and being like God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, these are church words. I try to always stop for a second and help people understand church words because church words you hear in church, but whether we understand them or not is sometimes is hit or miss. So what I wanna do tonight real quickly is I wanna oversimplify and explain these two church words so that you can understand what a new self, what Paul is saying a new self looks like in righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is simply doing the right thing. Holiness is choosing to do it every day. Paul is saying you can have a new self that you put on that does the right thing and gets up every day and chooses to do it over and over and over again. Think about how your relationships would be different, how you would view yourself differently, how uh, the people around you would interact with you, how you would experience the world. I think all of us would say, yeah, if you were offering me that kind of new self, I'd be on board. But here's the reality, preacher guy, it's hard. And I don't wanna get up here and be the person that overlooks all the complexities of life. I don't wanna be the person who gets up here and gives you an ideal without truly understanding the situation you're in. Some of you are in situations because you made bad decisions and you created it. And I need to respect that. Some of you are in situations that you never asked for and you're a victim of the things around you. And I need to respect that as well. But what I need to respect most is an enemy, a devil, whatever vernacular you wanna call for the Satan creature who can sometimes be nebulous and weird to talk about but I also need to respect how real and powerful he is. Paul respected it, which is why he said the only way we could take off this new self and put our old self and put on a new self, the only way that we can live like God in true righteousness and holiness is to do this right here, to not give the devil a foothold. When I was younger, like I said, I grew up in the church. This word foothold, I thought it meant something totally different from what it actually means. I genuinely thought giving the devil a foothold meant when I get out of bed in the morning, he's waiting under my bed to grab my foot and drag me under the bed to wherever it is he wanted to take me. I was petrified of giving the devil a foothold. Kept me out of a lot of trouble, I'm sure, you know? I had to know I can't ever sleep in anybody else's bed because the devil might be under it. I know he's not under mine. So this word foothold, I didn't really learn until I was in college. And it wasn't in a classroom. It wasn't any professor or anything like that. It was while I was rock climbing. We used to go every weekend to Red River Gorge in Kentucky and we'd rock climb. And we got pretty good at it. We started with top rope climbing where the rope is connected to the top. You have somebody at the bottom belaying you. You climb up and if you fall, you just hang there like a human pinata, you know, and everybody laughs. You hope no one grabs a stick. And so we, we got past that. And we started doing something called sport climbing. Sport climbing, you have all of these carabiners, the little clippy things, some of you use for your keys on your belt loop. Uh, you have all these carabiners on your harness, okay? And about every eight to 10 feet, there's anchors in the rock wall. And so we're outside, we're climbing and you get up there and you clip into these anchors and you clip your rope to secure you to know if I fall, I'm not gonna fall that far. So I was almost to the second one. I was about three feet from it and I'd already climbed about 10 feet to the first one and about another seven feet, I was almost to the next one. And I was trying to get my carabiner off of my, uh, my little loop and I couldn't get it and I'm shaking on it and stuff like that and I'm remembering in my head, okay, the way I get up there, your legs push you up and your arms keep you in. All of the way you go up is on your legs and everybody was yelling as I finally got this thing off, ready to push up and clip it on. They're yelling, hey, get a better foothold, get a foothold, foothold. And I'm like, is the devil down there? Is he gonna get me? I'll get up here real fast if he's chasing me. Stay under my bed. Anyway, so I'm getting ready to go and as I push up, my feet slip out from under me and I fall the seven feet to where I'm anchored in but now I've got a lot of slack in the rope from where I just fell and I kept falling and boom, laying on the ground. And I remember laying on the ground and going, ah, foothold, I get it now. I learned the hard way. 
So that was that moment for me. I'm like, oh, okay, I have an idea. A picture for a foothold is it changed the verse for me, but I wanna change it for you today because I love the way Webster put it in his book, the dictionary. Here's what he calls a foothold, a secure position from which further progress can be made. Let me say that again. A secure position from which further progress can be made. Now, I wanna do something that I don't know if it's okay to do in a church. I don't know if this is legal, biblically speaking, but I wanna take this Webster definition and I wanna replace Paul's word of foothold. I wanna put it in there because I think this brings to light the way that we can take off our old self, put on our new self, and consistently sustain a life following Jesus. Here's what he says. Do not give the devil a secure position from which further progress can be made. Well, like I told you in the beginning, from the beginning of time with Adam and Eve, the devil has had one method of operation. If he can plant a lie in your thoughts and step back and let you nourish it and cultivate it, he has a secure position from which further progress will be made. Because that lie that you believe will create a feeling that is false and eventually turn to an action that was undeserved and end up with a result that you regret. You see, the enemy loves to convince us of untrue thoughts with really real feelings. The enemy loves to use anger and leverage it and convince you that no matter what the situation is, you're the victim. You're the one who's been wronged. The enemy loves to to bring dread as a feeling into your life and convince you it's never gonna get better no matter what you do. He loves to bring loneliness in. He loves to bring fear in and say, you're never gonna be able to do this. He loves to bring self-doubt in and go, you're never gonna be enough and convince you of those things because he knows if I can get your attention with a feeling, you're gonna ignore the thought. You're gonna ignore the root. And Paul says, do not give the devil a secure position from which further progress can be made. And again, I understand the reality of this situation is that that is extremely difficult to do. But what I love about the text that we're looking at today is Paul wrote a bunch of letters to a bunch of different churches. And in another church, he continues with this thinking idea by offering us a solution to the problem that we're experiencing. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Paul is saying the way that you don't give the devil a foothold in your life is not by managing your feelings, is not by behavior management, looking at your actions, trying to break habits and addictions and not do things anymore. It's none of those things. He's saying it's by taking your thoughts captive. He's saying you're not putting a salve on on the surface, you're bringing a solution to the source. You're taking a few steps back and you're getting to the lie that was planted in your head by the enemy and you're grabbing a hold of it. You're taking it captive. Simply put, if I wanna simplify this verse, Paul is saying we need to think about what we're thinking about. We need to take time in our lives when those emotions stir up and think about what we're thinking about and discipline ourselves to that. We need to examine what we feel and determine what is real. You need to examine what you feel and determine what's real. See, Paul is, is showing us a process through this text that really, as I put against medical and science journals, it, it, it held up. It was a very similar process to the way that human beings naturally think. Here's what they do. They receive a thought. They receive it however the means necessary through a look or through a word or a post or whatever it is. And then they perceive the thought. They begin to ask the question, what does this mean about me? What did you mean by that? 
How did that strike me? How do I feel? And then after they perceive it, whether it's true or not, they believe a thought. And it's that belief in a thought that really stirs up these feelings and initiates itself into an action. Paul is saying you cannot live as your old self. This is your old self with its deceitful desires. It's very self-serving. It's very natural to what the enemy has created in you. He's saying we need to put this off and put on a new self that looks like this. We receive it. The thought comes in. And then we don't perceive it, we research it. And what this means is when that thought enters our mind, we need to take time to investigate it. And we need to take time to determine its intentions and its origins. We need to take time to peel that thought apart and say, what are the intentions of the thought? Is it, is it to throw me off and to throw me into chaos, eventually leading me to regret? Or is this to protect me in my relationships and myself? And after we research it, if we find that it's not true, Paul's saying you need to replace it. This is what Paul is saying by taking every thought captive. When it comes into your head, you research it, investigate it. And then when you find the places where the enemy has placed that lie in your head and he's waiting for you to nourish it and let it grow into a feeling, you need to replace it. But here's the thing. What do we replace it with? Luckily, we don't have to sit here and wonder like, okay, give me some examples of what to replace it with. Do I just distract myself with your random thoughts, you know, about you know, whether, you know, whatever. The, I can't think of a random thought now because my brain doesn't love me. But anyway, a random thought. What do we replace it with? Paul writes to yet another church and addresses another head issue. And he says to the church in Philippi, whatever, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. And he goes on to say, think about these things. But I wanna talk about these words for real quick. I love that he starts with whatever is true. You know, if any of you watch Seinfeld or your parents watch Seinfeld, there's a character, George Costanza. George Costanza is like the most pathetic human being on the face of the earth, and he is known for how many lies he tells. And in one particular episode, he's teaching Jerry how to lie because Jerry is in a situation where he's gonna need to tell a lie. And when Jerry's walking out of the room, George turns around and he says, hey, Jerry, just remember one thing. It's not a lie if you believe it. And I think about that with whatever is true because sometimes we think it must not be a lie if I believe it. But as we've seen, that could be completely untrue. So where do we find truth? We go to scripture, we go to friends, we allow them to speak into our life and navigate. We go to counseling and figure out what's true, whatever is noble. These are thoughts of morality, if you look at some of the translations of these words. These are the thoughts that create tension in your life when you're trying to navigate good from bad. Should I do this, should I not? These are the thoughts that are causing that little bit of tension that says maybe I ought not do this. And these are the moments where we take them captive and we choose the noble thought. Whatever is right, this is just just, this is treating people with respect. Whatever is pure, this is innocence. Some of us, you know, have forgotten how to conduct ourselves because we don't see ourselves with any innocence anymore. So this is right-sizing kind of your self-worth and the way you view yourself. He goes on to say, excuse me, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. These two I usually uh, give to husbands and wives, but for people in the room who are getting ready to maybe initiate a relationship that will go into a marriage, these are so important because when you get down the road in your life and your relationships and you begin to think horrible thoughts about your spouse, heads up, here's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to create a profile of your spouse in your mind that is untrue and then anything your spouse does, the enemy wants to serve as a confirmation bias to the horrible person you believe they are. And so I often tell husbands, remember your wife in the days that you saw her as lovely, the reason you proposed, the reason you courted her or asked her out, 
Think about her that way in her lovely characteristics and don't let the enemy have a foothold. Wives, think about your husband with thoughts that are admirable. One day you respected him. One day you said yes and stood at an altar with all kinds of pride and friends and family around. Think about him that way. Give him the chance to prove himself again. Whatever is excellent, this is gratitude. If you are down and out and you are feeling like life is just tough or not good, it is so powerful to think about what is good in your life and have gratitude. And whatever is praiseworthy, we just did this with three songs. This is focusing our thoughts and our attention on God and remembering what is true about him. Wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, all I want is you. Saying these truths about God and the thing that he's done for you and causing your mind to take a second and think about these things is a way to take captive your thoughts and keep the enemy, the devil, Satan, from having a foothold in your life. Here's the reality to remember. Your heart is the thing that loves and your mind tells it what things to love. So at the beginning I said, don't follow your feelings. Don't necessarily listen to your heart. We've gotta take our thoughts captive. We gotta realize that our thoughts are initiating and sustaining our feelings, whether they're good or bad, which eventually is actions and results. But I wanna give you permission this week to follow your feelings for a second, okay? I wanna give us all permission to lean into that because it's easier to do than some of the stuff I've said. And I want you to follow your feelings, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow your feelings to your thoughts. Maybe right now, for some of you who have an overwhelming feeling that's been distracting this whole time. This week, today, tonight, I want you to sit in your feelings and your feels. And I want you to follow that feeling back to the thought that initiated it. Because here's the reality. The feelings that you think through can lead to a breakthrough. The feelings that you think through can lead to a breakthrough. Now here, let me give you a little background of this bottom line, this sentence that I brought tonight. This word breakthrough, I argued with several people back at North Point where I work on this word, and here's why. They told me you cannot get on stage and promise people that if they think through their thoughts and emotions, they're gonna have a breakthrough. And then when I was sitting in my truck and I was driving, I felt like, and this may be weird for some of you who don't understand this, but I felt like God was saying to me, this is the word. This is the thing. This is the promise. And here's what I felt him say. The enemy wants to steal the validity of your victories to eliminate your consistency. Let me say that again and explain it. The enemy wants to steal the validity of your victories to eliminate your consistency. He wants you in every good thing that you do, everything you get right, every positive thought you have, every time you get success in those things, he wants to rob the validity of that success and say, you know what, that wasn't a breakthrough, that was a fluke. Oh, you just did the right thing. Nobody gets rewarded for doing the right thing. That's not gonna make any difference. And by doing that, he's gonna rob the validity of that victory and that sense of goodness that you feel, the thing that spurs you on to do it again. And he knows if he can steal the validity of that victory, you won't be consistent in the way that you think anymore. And so I left breakthrough in there because I don't care how small it is. If you begin to break the pattern of your life of thinking negative thoughts, thinking the lies that the enemy places in your head, if you can break that pattern even one time, it'll lead you to a breakthrough. If you can identify something you feel and follow it back to a thought, it'll lead to a breakthrough. It'll lead through a breakthrough of your, your self-view, your worldview, the people around you. It's a lot of rhymes, but it will lead to a breakthrough. 
when I was in high school, I'll wrap up with this. Uh, I, uh, I had a lot of interest in like old war movies and history, stuff like that. Me and my dad would watch a lot of those movies. And, and so he was also a pastor. So I got to the place around my senior year where I sat down with God and I said, hey God, I'm thinking about my future and my career. For me, it's, I got two options, ministry or military. And I felt God say to me, you're 140 pounds, you're safer in a church. So here I am. But that love for uh, war history and stuff like that never really went away. And I was recently reading about Navy ropes. And I don't know how much you know about these. Some of you may know more than me. But the Navy uses these special ropes, okay? And the way that they manufacture these ropes, the way that they make these ropes, there's a, a special process so that they can ensure the integrity of the rope that they're using. What they do is they take one single colored thread and they begin to weave the rope in a, a specific pattern around that thread. So before they go out on a mission, before they go out on a training drill or anything like that, somebody from their platoon or whatever will come in and they will inspect that rope. And they will dig through the little strands and fibers of that rope. And if they find that thread in the middle, they know the rope was made correctly and it has integrity that will hold the weight of whatever they're needing to do. And when they dig through that rope, if they find that there is no thread in the middle of that rope, they cannot trust the integrity of the rope. So they throw it out and they put a big thing on it that says not fit for service. I wanted to bring a way tonight for you to think about your thoughts with a visual because that's exactly what I want you to do this week. I want you to follow your feelings, dig through your feelings to that thought and dig through that thought. And you could put my cheat sheet back up here so they can know what we're looking for. Dig through that thought and think in the middle of this rope, is there anything that's true or noble or right or pure? And if you end up digging through the rope and you go, you know what? There's no truth there. I feel it, but there's no truth there. I want you to let go of that rope. I want you to let go of that thought. Let it go and replace it with something that is true or lovely or praiseworthy or excellent or admirable. And when you get to a thought that you dig through and you find that thread of truth in there, cling to it. Don't let it go. Because it'll be that thought that is the rope that pulls you out of whatever dark pit you find yourself in. It is that rope that it has enough integrity to hold the weight of your relationships and of your mental state and of the world around you. Because here's what's crazy. We hang everything that's most valuable to us on our thoughts. Don't you want it to have some integrity? Don't you want it to have some truth? There's one last thread I wanna talk about in the middle of this rope. When talking about truth, there's been a lie that some of you in this room have believed for your entire life. And maybe you don't know you believe it. Some of you, when, when you look through this rope, you can't find the truth of who you are. And I know it's weird to stop for a second and take on such a big idea. But the reality has been represented here that the enemy has wanted to convince us that we are something we're not. The enemy wants to convince us we're okay. We're, we can do it on our own. The enemy wants to place promise after promise after promise inside all of these strands only to let us find out at the end of the day, sure, they were gratifying for a moment, but there's so much regret on the other side of this rope. And I wanna take a second for those of you who would look through your rope and, and not have that, that true thread of who you are running through it yet, or at least a recognition of it. I wanna take a second to explain what God says about you. 
I want to take a second to explain the opportunity you have before you. Because maybe you've been going through life and the wind and the waves and the chaos of your circumstances has come and it's tossed you back and forth from person to person, from crowd to crowd, from substance to substance, from coping mechanism to coping mechanism, and you just find yourself without the answers or you don't know what to do. And you need a rope. And I wanna explain to you real quickly that God has offered one. Because here's the reality. When the enemy shattered God's perfection that day, Romans 3.23 says that as a result of that, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't care who you are in the room, me included. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And later in chapter six, he says, the wages of that sin, the cost of that sin is death. That there is not enough good you can do. You can't good yourself back into God's good graces. You can't good yourself back into a relationship with him and, and, and bridge the gap with good deeds or good things. You can't work your way back into it. It's impossible. The wages, the cost of that sin that all of us possess is death. But listen to me. And I'm almost done. I know we got things to do. Listen to me. A rope came out of heaven in the form of Jesus because the next part of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's the thing I've been seeing from time to time, again, talking to people, and I, I just, I hope to God I stop seeing it. So we've leaned into this feeling of pride so much so that we've never gone back in our faith or in what we believe about God and investigated the thought that's kept us so prideful because honestly, What's the only thing in the world that would keep you from having a free gift? Your pride. It's the only thing in the world. And if that's you, if you've created a profile of God in your thoughts or you've been thinking a certain way or created a profile, let me tell you who he really is. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love to us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I tell everybody I can. My favorite word in that entire thing is demonstrates. Because so often in our life, how you communicate with your friends and family, I love you, I love you too, and we communicate it all day long. But God knew love communicated but not demonstrated is complicated. You tell somebody you love them but do nothing to show them that that's true, it gets real complicated. God knew that fact. And so he demonstrated his love for us in this while we were in the middle of our mess, right now, in the middle of your mess, the worst you've ever been, all the regrets, all the doubts, all the fears, all the anger. God demonstrated his love in this that he sent Jesus to die for us. It's like when you're a kid. Think back to when you're a kid and you play outside in the mud and you get all muddy and you come to the door and your mom just cleaned everything and she said, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you come in here, you better go wash yourself off. You better go clean up before you can come in. And with Jesus, we come to the door muddy with all our filth and mistakes. And he meets us at the door and he picks us up and he hugs us and he loves us. And when he puts us down, all of the mud, the dirt, the regret, the sin, the shame, the guilt is now on him. And we're clean because he takes it to the cross. And he died in our place. And he forgave that sin. And Romans 10, 13 says, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anybody who would reach their hand out and grab that rope will be saved. God wants you to have forgiveness through Jesus that will change your life.
Here's what I wanna do. This part takes a little more boldness, all right? Oftentimes, when communicators get up and give this type of message, there's nothing wrong with this. They'll ask us to lower your heads and raise your hand if you wanna make that decision. But sometimes I just feel like that just is a way for it to be easier on me. If nobody raises their hand, I'll feel awkward or whatever, but no one will see it. So in a second, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask this room, if you wanna make that commitment and you wanna reach your hand out and you wanna grab the rope that God offered through Jesus, the rope that will save your life eternally, (laughs) I'm gonna ask you to stand up. But before you do, would you raise the house lights up? Here's why. You've spent enough time hiding you spend enough time in the dark. And now, before a community of people who love you and who want to be behind you and celebrate your decision, I'm gonna challenge it to make it as, as hard as we can, as emotionless as we can. I want it to be a moment for you to remember that God offered you a rope through Jesus and you said yes. Lastly, saying yes to Jesus is a solution for your eternity but it may not feel like a solution for tomorrow. It may not feel when you wake up like it's a solution to your temptation and struggles. I need you to stand so the people around you can see you because your faith community around you is what God wants to use to help you through those circumstances. So if you're the the, the person in the room tonight that says, you know what? I wanna reach out and grab the rope. I wanna put my trust in Jesus. I just ask you right now, stand up. Come on. Come on. Now, if you're a Christian tonight, I fear that you don't understand grace quite enough because when somebody stands up and crosses from death to life, we see resurrections happen on earth. I feel like that deserves a little more. Come on. Those of you who are standing, two things, two things, if you're standing. One, we're gonna play a song. I want you to meet me right here. I wanna hug your neck and I wanna congratulate you on the best decision you've ever made. Second thing, a life in Jesus is hard sometimes. But the love that he offers you will sustain you and keep you for all eternity. Whatever you're struggling with, give it to him. The key to the life you're gonna live It's not pride and selfishness, it's surrender. People around these folks, if you're their friend, I expect you to be all over them. Support them, love them, keep them accountable. If you're standing, I want you to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud, you can pray it to yourself. The prayer doesn't save you, it's simply an acknowledgement that you're placing your trust from yourself into a savior. Let's all bow our heads. If you're standing, I just want you to kind of repeat this to yourself. Repeat it to God. Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am a sinner and that I need a savior. I trust that Jesus was my substitution. And I'm shifting my trust in this moment from myself to him. Father, thank you for your love and your kindness and your forgiveness Be with me, sustain me, protect me from the enemy. It's in your name I pray, amen.